us. All right, a formal welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. So today we talk about time. This is a favorite topic in Kabbalah, and it's also a very important topic. By the way, it's important also because we're about to celebrate Passover, which is a celebration of time. Think about it, right? It's every holiday is a mark in time. Okay, so I'll tell you a story. All right, to, to, to explain where I'm trying to go with this, let's start with the story. There was once a king who was traveling with his son. And the king, and the king, um, and the king's son got thirsty along the journey. And he was very thirsty. And you know what happens when the king's son gets thirsty? He's, he's got it. The prince is thirsty. Oh, the prince has got to drink. We got to hook up the prince with some water. Problem is, this is a time before bottled water and before, you know, this is like before things got really super convenient. We take a lot of things for granted, right? So, so how do you get water? Huh? A well. Oh, well, hold on. One second, one second. Before we get to the well. So the king stops, stops the, uh, the journey. And he convenes a high-level cabinet meeting with all of the, the officials, the officers that are with him. And he says, guys, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem. The prince is thirsty. And we're middle of nowhere. So what do we do? So the, uh, the head of the infantry, infantry says... Let's, infantry deals with horses, is that correct? Yes, possibly. Cavalry. Cavalry, there we go, the cavalry. That's what I meant, the cavalry. The head of the cavalry, the military head of cavalry says, we have some of the fastest horses that are, you know, in, in, the, in the country, in the kingdom, and we'll send horses back to the city quickly to get water and to bring it back to the prince, and it'll be back in a jiffy. The head of the cavalry says that is, what, that is an offer, a proposal of what we can do to get the prince water. The head of the Corps of Engineers has another idea. He says, I can have my engineers come and we can dig right here or in this area and try to find water and create a well. The king thinks about it, thinks about it, thinks about it, and he says, you know what? If the horses go back and get water, it's only going to benefit my son right now. But if we dig and strike water and create a well. Anytime anyone in, in, in the future will ever be traveling along this route, if they ever get thirsty, there'll be water for them to drink. In other words, hey Matt, good to see you. In other words, in other words, the better idea is to dig a well. By the way, it's similar to the, uh, to the Hasidic saying, it says about Noah, you know, Noah and the ark, Noah's, Noah's ark, right? So it says that Noah, Noah, he was a tzaddik in pelts. He was a righteous person in pelts. You know what pelts is? It's a Yiddish word. Pelts is like the word pelt. What's pelt? Yeah, he was a tzaddik in a fur coat. Why is he a tzaddik in a fur coat? Because we know famously with Noah, so he was righteous, he got saved. And who else got saved along with him? As far as human beings, animals got saved. But who else got saved? His immediate family. So him and his wife, his three sons and their wives, so a total of eight people, plus we have a tradition that Og, the giant, also was saved. He held on to the side of the ark, something like that. <laughs> However, nine people, yeah, nine people were saved, including Og, the giant. One short of a minion. Ten would be a minion. 
And we know later on in history when Abraham pleads for the cities of Sodom and, and Amorah, Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, if there are 10 righteous people, God then spare the city. And God says, but there aren't. We know that if you have 10, if you hit 10, it's a critical mass to save a civilization. Which means, and how long did it take for Noah to build the ark? 120 years. A whole lifetime. 120 years to build the ark. Yeah? I always joke, he must have been Jewish, whatever. I know there's some, some Jews know how to build, but others, like myself, you go into Home Depot before Sukkot, Sukkot, it's like, what's that thing that hits the other thing into the wood? A hammer? All right, good. Anyway, back to the story. So, Noah's building the ark for 120 years. And in 120 years, how many people does he influence to join the God Squad? Zero. He couldn't put together a minion. One person short, shy of a minion. One person shy of 10. For 120 years, he couldn't. So why? So our tradition tells us because he wasn't trying. Why, why couldn't he or why didn't he? Because he didn't want to. He wasn't interested. As long as he was safe, that was fine with him. So he is the quintessential tzaddik in pelts. He's the tzaddik in a fur coat. What does that mean? When it's cold outside or when it's cold inside, let's say, rather, it's cold inside the house. So what do you do? So either you could put on a coat or you could, can light, well, back in the day, they didn't have a thermostat, you could light a fire. All right, so, if, if, so what's the difference? If you put on a coat, you're warm. If you light a fire, everybody's warm. So Noah chose the personal salvation route, i.e., I'm fine, I'm cool, my family's okay. Let everyone, it's not my issue. Let, let what happens come, you know, that's, that's uh, it's not my issue. Whereas Abraham and, and Moses and the great subsequent leaders, they learned from that example uh, of what not to do, and they went to bat on behalf of the people. Famously, you know, after the sin of the golden calf, um, God says to Moses, he'll destroy the Jewish people and start again with him. And Moses says, unacceptable, not happening. I do not accept that offer. Uh, forgive the people, and if not, erase me from the book that you've written. I don't want any part of Torah if you can't forgive the people. Moses was safe. But Moses put his own spiritual and physical life in line for the people who had been complicit in this egregious sin. Why? Because that's what a leader does. Not doesn't care just about himself or his family, but cares about the people. Plus, it's no fun just to be on your own. Like Noah was just on his own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not fun, right? <laughs> Probably Noah miscalculated on that because we know after he got off the ark, he wasn't necessarily the uh, the happiest of guys. Be that as it may, back to the story of the kid and the king, the, the king and the prince. So the king decides if he sends his, the cavalry, if he sends the horses to get the water for his son, his son will drink today. And what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next year? No water. This place will still be a barren land. Whereas if they dig and create a well, now people can drink for all time. And so the Hasidic masters, I believe it was the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, that shared this parable, this exact parable with the father and the son and the, and the, tra and the journey and the water, etc. And the Alter Rebbe says this gives us insight as to what the Jewish holidays are. They are like wells that have been dug along the route. Whereas you travel, if you think of time and space as kind of, um, you know, sinking up, whereas just like, you know, in, in space you can travel through a certain, uh, certain parcels of land, so too as we travel through time, we travel through um, points of time, right? If you, think of, if you think of time and space as being related, then the parallel is clear, 
right? Just as the king digs a well for people that will be traveling along this land, so too in time we also have wells in time. We have moments where moments of inspiration where we can drink of these waters and be, be, be lifted up and be, you know, our thirst is quenched and, and we're inspired and we're invigorated and we're re- almost, not almost, or maybe literally revived from an otherwise spiritual wasteland. And these are the Jewish holidays. Every Jewish holiday is not just a celebration of what was back in the day. This is the critical idea. Every holiday is an opportunity to drink from the same well that they drank from originally. This is a Jewish understanding of time. Time as not being some sort of just like linear. And, and by the way, this is something the ancient philosophers had a lot of discussion about. How do you, what is the nature of time? So some philosophers believe, by the way, that time is not even a real thing. Time is just something that human beings created or superimposed in order to, you know, to be efficient or to be able to communicate effectively, like I'll meet you when, right? Like let's get together for lunch, how do we measure that if we don't have some sort of system of time? So some think that time is completely utilitarian, but not essential. In other words, time is not baked into the fabric of the universe necessarily, but it's just something utilitarian that human beings have constructed. Other philosophers believe, no, that it's something that's baked into the, to the fabric of, of reality. Um, Judaism, but even within that, there's different understandings of, time, understandings of time. Some believe that time is completely linear. Some believe that time is cyclical. Judaism has a third view, which is very unique. Time is more like a spiral. What's a spiral? So when it comes to a spiral, what you have is um, there is a forward progression. At the same time, it is looping around. Um, It is intersecting in a similar um, plot along a graph as a previous iteration of that spiral. So think of a spring or a coil. Same thing, right? Think of a spring where at every, you know, let's say when it turns upward, that upward turn at the very top point, wherever, however you're holding it, right, the, the upper, the, the topmost part of that spiral will align with another topmost part of that spiral that happened one round, one cycle earlier, and a cycle before that, and a cycle before that. So what you have is an intersection, you know, at any point along that spiral, you can, you know, you can create a cross-section at different points along the line. This is Judaism's notion of time, that time is progressing. There is a forward progression, so it's not just cyclical. Some ancients believe that time is cyclical, same people, same thing, same storylines repeat themselves, and really we're not going anywhere. We're not getting anywhere, there's no progress. Um, This is a bit of a, uh, like a fatalistic type view, or I don't know if that's the right word for fatalistic. Nihilistic, yeah, it's kind of like, it's, it, well, let's just speak real. It's depressing. Right. Depressing because we're not getting anywhere and we're not progressing. And really, it's the same stuff, the same challenges, the same drama, the same trauma. We're not getting anywhere. It's like we think we're getting somewhere, but it's the same storyline, the same, the same triumph and the same tragedies and the same, you know, um, like the Greeks had a uh, genre, Greek tragedy, right? It's like the same, like the hero will always inevitably fail and there'll be a tragedy and you know that's that's how all the stories end yeah we live and we try to accomplish and then we realize we can't accomplish and we can't fix the world and then we end up we and then we die ultimately that's the story of every human being that's ever lived right that's what hold on one second i'm not saying this i'm saying that some people believe this right slow it down i'm not that uh right however there were some that said no that that time is linear that's cyclical time is linear it's going from one place to another but with the pure linear construct of time then you're just moving forward and leaving the past behind. Judaism has, again, the third, the third perspective is the spiral, where you are moving forward. The spiral is moving forward, 
right? However, there's also a re, um, yeah, reconnection, and, and you are also coming back to points along, you know, if you plot on a, on a graph paper, yes, there's a three-dimensionality to it where it's, it's moving forward, but if you're plotting it on a graph, it is aligning to what came a year prior, let's say, in this cycle. So uh, in very clear terms, we're coming up to Passover. And so what is Passover? Passover is a well of liberation. It's a moment in time where God didn't just liberate the ancient Israelites from, uh, from the oppression of Egypt, but God injected, God dug the well, so to speak, and created a wellspring, a water source of freedom and liberation, both from external challenges and internal challenges that we can drink from, that we can be invigorated from every Passover. And every Passover can be experienced on a deeper level than before. And that's, that's the key. It says that the mystics tell us that every holiday, every, really every day, every holiday certainly is meant to be experienced on a deeper level than before. Like, so for example, Rosh Hashanah is a day of, as we've been talking in, in the last, uh, I don't know, several weeks, Rosh Hashanah is a time of a new influx of divine energy, essentially where we get a new round of funding from our funder. Right? So we pitch to God, we're like, okay, here's, here's our idea, right? We're going we're gonna to be here. We're going to create this amazing thing that's called world. Uh, we're going to make it a home. We're you know, startup free. in Gaza, venture capitalist. Yes. We are the startup. And we're like, we have this great idea. And we pitch God the idea. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be, you know, like it, we're going to accomplish so much. And, you know, you're going to love it. And it, it, the return on your investment is going to be through the roof. Because, you know, just wait till what you see what we build. And we ask for funding, and every year God funds us. And, and, and the way, because we're still here, so, so far it's been working. And the mystics tell us that every year the funding that comes through is more than the year before. When I say funding, I mean, well, the, the mystics didn't use capitalistic terminology. They didn't use money. They didn't use currency in their language. They used terminology like light and energy. The light and energy, every Rosh Hashanah, the influx of light and energy is to an unparalleled degree than ever before. So what happened a year prior in Rosh Hashanah, the influx of energy pales in comparison to the influx on this Rosh Hashanah that we are experiencing right now. Every year is not only the same as before, but greater than before because we are a year more advanced and there's more that we can accomplish and there's more that we're asking for and there's more that we need and there's more that God is willing to give. Every year, it advances. The same thing is true with Passover. The same thing is true with Sukkot. Right? Passover, so Rosh Hashanah is investment, divine investment in creation. Passover is the energy of, of liberation. Sukkot is divine protection. Every holiday has its theme. It's like a well that we drink from. So this is one perspective, or not one perspective, the Jewish mystical perspective on time. But all of this gets to a core truth about time, which I want to focus on today. So how is this Passover, then this kind of literal connection that you were talking about, relate to, you know, the Exodus? You're saying this pa I mean, the Passover that we're coming up to? I mean, I'm saying, it's the well, it's the well is dug and we're coming up, we're like, think of a journey, think we're driving on a highway and we're approaching a rest stop and the rest stop has a station I don't know if this analogy is going to work 
and the station is, and we can refuel over there, or we can, you know, t buy something, or we can gain energy over there, and the, the station is called freedom. So yes, it was dug once upon a time, right? This well was dug once upon a time when it came to the, the, the literal exodus from Egypt. But the waters, the energy that's in that space, in that station, in time, just like in space, in time, is the, is the, is the energy of freedom. And that is available for us to get to break out of things that hold us back, inhibitions that hold us back from accomplishing what we need to accomplish. Um, whether they're physical or spiritual or in between, emotional, psychological, things that hold us back, and of course the external stuff, the external pressures, things that hold us back, we can triumph over when we, when we access the energy of Pesach. And it's not some sort of, you know, magical, you know, um, you know, mythical idea. It's very practical. We have a Seder. We connect with the themes and we become inspired based on the lessons from the past. To utilize that, to create a, a better future, a better present and future for ourselves, that's how we tap into that energy. And it, it, it's, it requires a little prep. Where we got we to prepare ourselves for the idea. Look, it's possible when it comes to space, right? As, as, in, as in space is time. So like when it comes to space, you can drive by the exit. You can walk by that well and never drink from the waters, even if the king had dug that. You can walk by and say, uh, you know, I, I either don't see it or I choose not to drink from it. We have the choice to ignore the resources that are at our fingertips. But if we choose to engage in it, the resources are there. But all of this speaks to really the core theme of today, which is the Jewish take on time, that time is dynamic. So it's not only with, with, with regards to the holidays, that the holidays are continuously a dynamic element that, that we can reaccess every year. Time itself and every day, even if it's not a holiday, even if it's not Shabbat, time itself is dynamic and not static. Again, there is one construct of time or many constructs of time that believe that time is a passive, a passive receptacle waiting to be filled. This is not the Jewish understanding. Time is a dynamic energy that brings forth its own vitality into the picture. So time is not, it's not like, oh, Sunday. What's going to happen on Sunday? Whatever we choose to do on this day called Sunday. That's not how Judaism looks at it. Sunday has its own energy. Sunday has its own vitality. And we can choose to harness it and go along for its ride and contribute to it as well and, and, and create a, a synergy and a synthesis. Or we can allow that energy to be wasted. We can allow that, you know, if there's a train that's moving, we can either jump on or we can let it pass by and not access the energy. Every day, every moment, we had a course not too long ago called um, Meditation from Sinai. And in the course, we talked about the power of every moment, how every, not only every day, but every moment, every fraction of a, of a, of a, of a, of a moment or every moment has its own energy. But we're going to speak today about the, seg the segment of time. Because Kabbalah has a beautiful insight into the seven days of the week. By the way, I find it fascinating that the week, I don't believe that there's any other civilization that's, that's known, okay, I don't know of any other civilization, let's put it that way, that has something other than a seven-day week. Does anybody know of a civilization, modern civilization, that, that has a different week? Seven is a weird number. Can we all agree that seven is a weird number? Yeah, I would say five or ten. Like, give me like a, right? Isn't ten like more of an intuitive unit? Then seven, 10 is a minion again, right? But like 10 seems like a segment, right? You hit double digits. What's seven? Since when do things happen in seven? Seven is a weird construct. Yeah? 
It's weird. I think there were ancient societies like the Persian Empire, at least we have a tradition. I, we would have to look this up in the Persian history books. Um, our tradition tells us that in the Persian society, at the times of the story of Purim, they had something other than a seven-day week, which is why Esther, when she... Remember Esther? Queen Esther? So she was chosen to be the queen of Ahasuerus, the king of Persia. So our tradition tells us that she appointed for herself seven... Um, what would you call them? Handmaids? I don't know. Seven assistants. One for each day. And that way she was able to maintain her own seven-day rotation because the calendar in, in, under ancient Persian rule, uh, especially in the palace of, of the Persian king, did not run along a seven-day week. You with me on this? So she had her own... So she knew she had a, she had one, a, um, a handmaid, an assistant, whatever, for each day of the week. And that way of... of so that way she knew when Shabbos was, because every seven days it rotated. Yes? Anything to do with the seven, the menor, temple menorah, seven candles. So, yeah, that's what I'm about. So, it all comes back to the same idea. So, the reason for the seven day work week, I'll put everyone out of the suspense because I see everyone's on edge right now. Like, why the seven days? Obviously, it comes from the Bible, where, the God, where God created the world in seven days. That's the only source for this. I mean, there's no other source. Like, what, what other source could there be for human beings coming up with a seven day work? It's not even. It's an obvious thing, right? Yeah, it's another... Yeah, right. People say Judeo Christian, but it comes from the Torah. It comes from, right, it comes straight up from the Torah, seven days. In our tradition, though, when you study Kabbalah, it's not just God created the world in seven days. Again, like a passive... Each day is a passive container. What's going to happen today? Oh, God created this, God created that. But every day is actually a creation itself. In other words, every day has its own investment of energy from above. So every day has a unique flavor of energy... And the mystics align this, these seven energies, with what's known as the seven midot, or the lower seven spherot. So now let's get into some Kabbalah that should be familiar to, to some, perhaps unfamiliar to others, but let's jump right in. So in Kabbalah, we have a teaching, classic Kabbalistic doctrine of the ten spherot, ten divine emanation energies with which God created creation. Ten energies. Chesed, Gvura, Teferet. Three intellectual powers. Chesed. Sorry. Let me try again. Ch I misspoke. I believe I misspoke. Um, three, starting from the top. Three intellectual powers are Chachma, Bina, and Dat. Acronym is Chabad. Chachma, Bina, Dat, Chabad. Then you have the seven emotional energies... Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, Malchut. So, in English, and I was trying to print out something before and the printer wasn't working. So, let me see if, uh, I can pull it up here on the screen. Give me a second. Safi wrote, chart, no, not this. All right, I'm going to pull this up in the meantime on the screen. I'll see if I can also print it out, if it's going to let me now. Um, there are seven emotional energies and three intellectual energies. Now, these are as they exist within the divine reality. And they also exist within the human being. All right, let's see if this is going to work. Are you printing? 
trying. Huh? Huh? Hold on. We'll see if we'll see if it's working. Sounded like something. Is it coming out? Does it need paper? All right, folks, we're, we're just, uh, is it coming out? Yeah. Oh, mazel tov. All right, I'm gonna print up a few more copies. We'll get this party started. Okay, now I'm gonna share this with our Zoom crew. All right, and this is something that certainly will be familiar because it's something that we have uh, displayed many times before. What is that? That is not mine. No, that is not mine. Okay, here we go. This is the classic uh, Sephiro chart. Can you guys see that? Thumbs up if you can see that with the blue and red circles. Yeah? Okay, amazing. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, let's make this a little bit smaller so we get everything on, on one page. All right, so we have here, and Alan, it's working now? I don't know, I should have done six. I hope not 60. Okay, so we have Chachma, Bina, and Dat, the top three circles, and of course, the ener these energies are not actually circles, but they're just depicted as such. Chachma, Bina, and Dat are the intellectual powers, and what we're gonna focus on today are the, thank you, are the seven lower energies that are the emotional energies, which are chesed, kavura, teferet, netzach, hajusod, malchot. The way we read this is right to left and top to down. So we have chabad, which is creative intelligence, analytical intelligence, and the idea of focus and connectiveness. That's all intellectual. And then the emotional energies are loving-kindness, chesed, which is loving-kindness, which is giving, essentially, gvur, which is severity, which is withholding, tefer, compassion, which is a hybrid of the two, giving and withholding, which we'll speak about in a little bit, netzach, which is ambition, drive, um, perseverance, etc., hod, which is devotion, or actually, more precisely, humility or yielding, yisod, which is bonding or connectiveness, and malchah, which is leadership. These are the seven emotional energies. Now, these are part of the fabric of existence, the fabric of the universe. They also exist within every human soul. Every human soul contains these 10 energies, which means that everybody has chachma, creative intelligence. Everybody has bina, which is analytical intelligence. Everybody has that, the ability to focus on something to the exclusion of other things. Everybody has chesed, the ability to give. Kvur, the ability to withhold. Tefer, the ability to practice both at the same time. Netzach, the ability to push forward with, with, a pro, with something, with a, with a desire. Ho, the ability to pull back from that. Yisod, the ability to, 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 to truly and honestly connect with something else, and Malchot, the ability to lead. Everyone has these capacities, of course, of course, everybody some people, Chabad. everybody's Chabad, but everyone's also Chagas Nehim, right? Everyone's everything. However, the way it works is everybody's got a little bit of a, uh, a preference, or not a preference, a, um, what's the word I'm looking balance for? Yeah, the balance is different for everybody. It's like, you know, if you ever operate in Photoshop, right, so there's or any program where you can like change colors or whatever, you can change your R's and your B's and your G's, right? So you got a little bit more red, a little bit, right? Or any photo, um, you know, Instagram, you're just tweaking colors. So you just highlight this color and de-highlight, and de or if that's the right word, but decrease 
um, that thing or increase the saturation. So every, some people are more chesed oriented, straight up. They're more, they're more wired to give. Like they're more generous by nature. It's not a judgment of better or worse. They're just more givers. You know what? That could also be dangerous because they might also be taken advantage of more. But it, it, it's, it could be a double-edged sword. It's not only good, but chesed is giving. And chesed's giving is pure unmitigated giving. It's not like, I'll give if you show me why I should give. That's not chesed. Chesed is giving. Chesed is the open hand. Gvura is the withholding, the closed hand. Gvura is, I'm not giving, right? Or I'm, I'm going to, gvura is also related to din, which is judgment. It's like discernment. It's like, should I give? Should I not give? I don't think I should give. So gvura is boundaries. Chesed is openness and gvura is boundaries. By the way, boundaries are healthy also. Rules, boundaries, guidelines, and everything in a project, in a relationship, right? It, it's healthy. When it comes to countries, uh, although that's an argument, open borders, not open borders. All right, whatever, scratch that. Um, yeah, the question of boundaries, uh, boundaries oftentimes are necessary. So I, I just want to, the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because sometimes we think that chesed is good, gvura is bad. It's not so simple. Chesed could be bad, and gvura could be good. They're, they're both. They both could be good. They both could be not good. Teferit, compassion is like this. Teferit is, it's like Rachmanus. What's Rachmanus? Teferit is, I'm, I'm, I'm judging you. I'm judging you, like, like Gvura. But instead, of, and, and I'm judging you to be, let's say, unworthy. But because I'm, and, and so Gvura would say, unworthy, don't give. But Teferit says, I'm judging you to be unworthy. Now I feel bad for you, so I'm going to give. You with me? It's the emotion of gvura, but the action of chesed. It's, yeah, it's psychological gvura, behavioral chesed. You with me on this? Does that make sense? It has the, the judgment of gvura, sympathy. Right? What is sympathy? Sympathy means that there's a judgment. Sympathy is a judgment. Sympathy is not kindness. It's different. It's a little bit different. Anyway, all right, Netzach is ambition. That should be pretty clear what that is. That is, I have a dream, I have a desire, I have a goal, and I'm going to see it all the way through. Netzach is the ability to push through obstacles and not let them get in your way. Netzach is the ability that we have to push through challenge and obstacle and not stop until the objective, the goal, the dream is realized. Netzach is incredibly powerful. It's on the right side, along with chesed, right? Chesed is open and giving, and netzach is, it's the, the energy modality of that right side is flowing from inside to outside. It's a flow outward. So chesed is about love, netzach is about ambition or drive, but it's all about the flow from inside to outside. The left side is all about the flow, the reverse flow. It's from outside within. So, it's, so it's, it's, it's retreating within, it's withholding, it's closing the hand. I'm not giving, I'm, 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 I'm holding back. Hod is, on the opposite side of Netzach, Hod is retreat. Hod is, I'm not, I, Hod is, I'm going to yield to your vision, right? I have my vision, you have your vision. So Netzach would be, I'm going to ram my vision all the way through to the end. Hod is, I'm going to yield, I'm going to pull back my vision and allow yours to proceed. Sometimes Netzach is healthy. Sometimes Hod is healthy. Sometimes Netzach is unhealthy. We all know what that looks like, right? Ambition to no end. Ambition to no, right? That means like illegal activity. That means, I mean, in Netzach, 
if you have a combination, not you, if one has a combination of gvura, netzach, I mean, you could be some deadly, like literally deadly combinations here. Hod is great, right? Hod is like, but it's also not good. If forever we yield and we're afraid to move forward and we pull back and we don't have the confidence to, we don't have the confidence and drive to, to push forward, that could also be negative. Okay, so all of that is the first five energies. And then Yisod is the idea of bonding or connection, connectedness, which is a unique, um, a very cool and unique human trait. Not, not exclusive to human beings, but certainly something that we have um, a unique ability in. Malchot is leadership. These are, these are elements that we'll talk about as we go on. My point here, the point here is that these are the seven, well, they're not all, all emotional. They're emotional and also functional powers of the soul. Chesed, Gvurah, Teferet are more the emotional. Netzachot, Yisod, Malchot are more the functional um, abilities. I mean, ambition is ambition an emotion? I don't think ambition is an emotion. Ambition is more of a, it's a drive to get something done. Is it emotional? It's more about functional. Hod also, Yisod and Malchot, these are all more functional as opposed to emotional. So although they're all colored red here, it just means that it's not blue. It's not the intellectual piece. It's more of the emotional slash behavioral slash functional elements of the soul. These parallel the seven days of creation. We're going to have inside, we'll get inside our text in a little bit. This is all kind of framing the text that we'll study inside. The Torah says God created the world. Sorry, it's, the Torah says, the Bible says, six days God created the world. It doesn't say in six days God created the world. It says six days God created. Six days God made. Not in six days God made the world, but six days God made. You know what the difference is? Passive or dynamic time. In six days means that each day is what? A container. Are you with me on this? A container within each of these six days God invested, God created in that. So think of, think of an empty room, right? Think of, uh, think of warehouses. Six empty warehouses. And you put stuff in the warehouses. What, what are the warehouses? They're empty. They're empty, empty shells. So that would be in six days. In six days, God created. That means that each day is like an empty shell. And then God invested, God created, God, God infused, uh, God put um, trees and vegetation, God put animals and human beings, God put the sun, moon, and stars. God, God created those in the space of the six days. That's not what the Torah says. God, the Torah says that six days God made. That means that the day itself is a creation. That means that time itself has its own energy. And the mystics say, what does that mean? Sunday is chesed. Sunday, God created time. The time is not, it's not an empty space. The, the time itself has an energy. And every day's energy is different than the other day. And they fall along, not fall along, they, they reflect, more than reflect, they are these seven energies. Sunday is chesed. Monday is gvura. Tuesday is Teferet, Wednesday is Netzach, Thursday is Hod, Friday is Yisod, and Shabbat is Malchut. Each day of the week, there's a different energy there. But first, the story. The story is not exactly where we're going with this, but I have to tell the story. Anyway, my son, one of my sons reminded me of this yesterday, and it's a, actually Friday night. It's a beautiful story. Tell a story about a father who has three sons, and he has a business, very successful business, 
and he's getting to retirement age, and he is fi- trying to figure out who to give the business to. Which son? His three sons. So which son should he give the business to to run? So he figures he's going to do a contest to figure out which one is, has the most seichel. You know what seichel is? The most... Uh, seichel is not smart. It's more of like... Acumen? Yeah, ingenuity, whatever. It was the yeah, most seichel. So he decides to create a contest. And what's the contest? He will... He will speak, I, I, I was reminded of this with warehouses. He's, he has three warehouses. He's going to give each son a week to fill the warehouse. Sorry, he maybe had one warehouse. One warehouse. He's going to give each son one week to fill the warehouse as much as he can. And whichever son fills the warehouse the best, the most, that, that, that son will get the business. Okay. So... Week one is for the oldest son, and he has a week. So Sunday morning, and this, the son was already in construction. He had his own construction company. He brings trucks with earth, and he packs the earth into, into the warehouse. He packs it floor to ceiling, and it's Gavaldic. Comes along at the end of the week, the, king, uh, the father, not the king, the father comes, opens up the door, checks it out. Oh, very good. You filled it very well. Excellent. Okay, they clear it out. And uh, it takes some time, obviously. And then the next son, the second son, has his opportunity. He was an accountant. Okay, so he fills the warehouse with papers, boxes and boxes of papers, right? He fills it, stacks, and for a whole week, he's filling it. Trucks are coming in and forklifts and everything. Nope, end of the week, the, the, the father comes, says, oh, very good, you did a great job. Now it's the third son's opportunity. They clear out the warehouse, third son's opportunity. And... Sunday comes, come, Sunday arrives, no activity. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, no activity, nothing, garnished. At the end of the week, the five, everyone's like, what's, I guess he doesn't want it, like, what's he doing? So they all gather, right, as they do for this inspection at the end of the week, and um, they come, they open up the warehouse door, and it's pitch black inside, and the son says, everyone come in and close the door. He pulls out a candle and lights it. And with that candle, the warehouse is filled with light, fully. And the father smiled and he said, you got the job, you got the business. <laughs> and it's, an, it's, an, it's a parallel for life, right? Like we have, everyone has an existential yearning for something. There's a hole inside of all of us. And the question is, how do we fill it? Some of us fill it with possessions, that's the dirt. Some of us with money, that's the paper. But ultimately, it's never gonna, it's never, that's never going to feel like it's satisfying. Light is what really fills and satisfies us. All right, that was a PSA for light. But back to our story. So every day has its own unique divine energy. Every day has its own sphera. There's one sphera, there's one energy per day. So Sunday is chesed, which is kindness. Monday is Gvura. You ever wonder why people are in bad moods on Monday morning? You think it's back, back to work? Mystically, there's a different understanding. It's more of a severity. It's more of a constricted energy on Monday. By the way, I'm about to go through the story of creation. But we see that what was created on each of the six days and then Shabbat parallels these seven energies. But let's go through one at a time. So Sunday is Chesed. Gvura, uh, Monday is Gvura. Again, to me, it's not, it's not a... 
It's not a surprise that, that Mondays are Mondays. Right? Everyone's like, Mondays, okay, Gvura. Tuesday is Teferet, compassion. Wednesday is Netzach. Thursday is Hod. Uh, Friday is Yisod, and Shabbat is Malchut. So let's talk about what happened on each day of creation. Um, the other thing that I wanted to print out was, probably now I can print it out, was the story of creation. So let's see if this works now. All right, I'm going to pull this up on the screen, and it sounds like Sounds like we got action over here. All right. So we're going to go through very quickly the story of creation. This is from the opening of the Torah, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, straight up, first chapter of Genesis. This is the beginning. By the way, favorite joke, one of my favorite jokes, the Torah, where, where's the first mention of baseball in the Torah? Horatius. In the big inning, in the big inning. I know, it's terrible. It hurts me more than it hurts you. Okay, Alan, thanks again. We have you on, uh, on printer duty here today. I appreciate it. It's two, well, each one is two pages double-sided and they're not, um, they're not, for whatever reason, they're not stapled. So just everyone should get two, two, the, the two copies. Uh, no, I have it on the screen. I'll just read it for everybody. Okay, so I, I, you know, I'm not, we're not going to do a deep dive into this. It's mainly a, um, a, quick, a quick review of what was created on the, six day, on the six days of creation and then what happened on Shabbat. So here we go. So the Torah says, right, in the beginning of God's creation of the heaven and the earth, so the earth was astonishing, empty, empty and darkness was in the face of the deep. So what does God create? Verse number three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Okay, so that's the first. So what's created on day one, which would be Sunday, what's created is light. Light is synonymous with chesed. Because what is light? Light is giving. Light is a flow. Light is, if you ever have used a flashlight, you know that one thing happens. You stand outside, let's say you're camping. You stand outside, you turn on your flashlight, right? And the light, the light bulb activates. What happens with that light? It, spread, it, it spreads outward. The light never says, oh, I think we'll stay right here. The nature of light is to spread outward. Chesed is about something, an energy, whether it's a, an energy or resources, whatever it is, it's what I have inside being shared or spread or diffused outside. By the way, the difference between a laser and a light bulb, of course, is that a light, right, standard light bulb spreads, diffuses, and, and, and loses its power. A, a laser is focused, right, on in itself to stay in one, in one beam so that it has a much further and much more potent reach, which is also a lesson in life about how we spread ourselves thin versus focusing like a laser, but that's for another time to really focus on, shall we say. But anyway, the point of light is chesed. Sunday, so light, you know, here's, here's my point. What, what's created on the day is not by happenstance, but it reflects the energy of the day. So Sunday's energy is chesed. It's no surprise that what does God create on that first Sunday of existence, on day number one? Light, because light is the ultimate form of chesed. Let's continue. What happens on day number two? Take a look at verse six. 
And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it be a separation between water and water. God made the expanse and it separated between the water that was below the expanse and the water that was above the expanse. And it was so. Basically, what God does on day number two, which is Monday, is separate the lower and upper waters. Separation. Separation is creating boundaries. You with me on this? You're separating. You're saying this is here and that is there. You're creating distinction. You're creating definition. You're creating, yeah, you're creating separation. Separation is never pleasant. Separation is always painful, even if it's necessary. Separation is painful. That's the nature of separation, right? The nature of separation is the nature of essentially creating a wall, creating a no. It's, it's basically placing a block between one thing and the other thing. It's not one big kumbaya. It's saying, no, this has to go here and this has to go there. It's being organized and organized requires discipline, which requires the ability to say no. It's not only saying no to somebody who's asking something. I don't mean in a simplistic way. I mean, you're, you're creating a boundary where this stays here and this stays there. We're being very organized. If you organize your time, right? So you have to say no to other activities in that time. That's, the way, that's, that's what it means to be organized. It means that this time will be ex fo um, um, focused exclusively on this activity and not on everything else. That requires saying, or requires discipline. That's what Gvura is. So what does God do on the second day? Discipline. This water is here, and this water is there. And ne'er the, the two, the twine, what is it? Never the ne two. Shall meet. Ne'er the twine shall meet. There you go. Why are we talking about twine? Who knows? <laughs> Who was that? Who wrote that? <laughs> All right, whatever. Either way, why don't we just speak English? All right, so the point is that it's, it's creating separation. This is a very gvura activity. What happens day number three? Let's take a look at day three. Day three is a wonderful day. By the way, day three is so wonderful. This is going to be verse number... One second. This is verse number nine through 13. We'll get there in a second. By the way, you should know that on this day, day three... God says it was good twice. You know why? Because God did not say it was good on day number two. Every day of creation, God says, and it was good, except for day number two. If you notice day number two, he just separated the waters, and that was it. Didn't say it was good. You know why? Because even though separation is necessary, guru is necessary, it doesn't always feel good, right? It doesn't feel good. Now, it's for a good purpose, but that's all the destination. The process itself can be painful. And that's why God doesn't say it's good on day two. Day two itself, Gevura experience itself, is harsh. It's a harsh experience. You don't say it's good. It leads to something good. It's, it's necessary and it's ultimately beneficial. But the process itself is difficult. It's a difficult process. Thus, it does not say good. By the way, this is not even a mystical insight. This is straight up Talmud. The Talmud said, the Talmud notes this. Day three, it says good twice. One, recalling the need what happened on day two and one for, it, for itself. You with me on that? And it was in retrospect, we say that what happened on day two was good, but only in retrospect. And then for day three itself, what was created on day three is also good. That's why it says in Jewish law that if you have a court case, for example, or something else that you need good luck, good mazel, do it on Tuesday. Because Tuesday is a day that has double good on it. Tuesday is a double good day. So if you have a court case or if you have you know, anything that you need, some extra mazel, extra luck, extra fortune, Try to set it on a Tuesday. Tuesday is a good day. Now you know. All right, so let's see what happened on Tuesday. What was created? So number one, God creates dry land. So he says, let the water that is beneath the heavens gather into one place. That means the, 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 the earthly waters. Let them gather into lakes and, and, and seas and oceans. 
and let the dry land appear. This is now the emergence of dry land. As opposed to a world covered in water, now we have emergence of dry land. And then the earth sprouts forth vegetation. Oh, so that was good. Number one, we have dry land. That's good. And then the earth sprouts forth vegetation. And that's also very good because now you have trees and plants and all these ones and fruit. Everything is, everything is kicking in. Things are growing. Things are, it's, it's, it's already, it's freilich, as they say in Yiddish. It's, things are happening. It's a, it's, a, it's a party. And thus, it's good. Again, second iteration of good on day number three. This is Teferah compassion, which means the hybrid of chesed and gvura. It's precisely because of the distinction that now life can, can emerge. Are you with me? Let, me? let me try that again. If you don't have any boundaries, you know what happens? The water covers the earth. And you know what, what that doesn't lead to? Life. You can't have life, I mean, unless Aquaman, right? Unless we're, you know, in, unless we're like uh, scuba gear 24-7. But life as we know it can't be sustained if everything is submerged in water. This is a problem with what's going on now. We don't want to get back to that state. God created the distinction. Let us not mess that up. Are you with me on that? That's a, it's a vote for our environment. Um, by the way, I'm doing a class on the environment, uh, Jewish Wisdom to Heal the Earth, coming up in May. Check your local listings for that. Very, I think, a very important class using Jewish wisdom, Kabbalah, and science about the, the environment to weave it together into a narrative for our beautiful creation. All right, back to our, back to our story. So the story is like this. That, and, and this is kind of what I was saying before, that it's through gvura that you can truly have sometimes chesed. It's only through gvura, through distinction, that you can actually get what you want and you can achieve what is necessary. So when you have the separation of the oceans and lakes into defined spaces, and that allows dry land to emerge, so on the one hand, it's, it's limiting. It's limiting the waters. On the other hand, the limiting of the waters is actually precisely allowing dry land to emerge and vegetation to sprout, which is a good thing. So that is where we see how it's not just chesed, which is, you know, the lines are blurred. It's not kavur, which is just simply separation or withholding or withdrawing. It's teferet, which is compassion, which is rachmanus. It's kind of like, it's the, it's the, it's the hybrid of both. It's, this, it's the distinction but it's the, it's the benefit that comes from the distinction itself. Does that make any sense? Sort of? Yes? No? I feel like I should probably check in. I've d- done a lot of talking. Um, <laughs> does it make sense? Sort of? Yes? It's a swirl. It's a swirl? It'll make sense eventually. It'll make sense eventually. Okay, light spreading forth is chesed. Separating, creating distinction is gvura. Creating a distinction in such a way that it now produces life, something greater than before, is the idea of teferit. It's the, it's the blessing that comes through the gvura. So that's, it's, a, it's a hybrid. Like on the chart, how you see how it's, you know, it's, it's taking, the, taking the energy from both. So you have a little bit of severity, a little bit of withholding, but also a little bit of giving as well, because now the earth is, it's not just a completely harsh experience, it's also giving forth vegetation. It's creating the seeds of life, literally and, and metaphorically, and, um, and that is what happens on day number three. All right. Now that makes sense. Okay, good. All I right. A, I have a question about uh, the, the water, the expanse. Is that, what, what's the layers of water? Is that like solid water in the ocean and the water in the clouds? I, you know, I, I wonder, I also wonder like what that is. Is that like atmospheric 
thing, like, I, I don't know that it's defined clearly in Torah itself, like what that is. I'm sure commentaries discuss it. Um, is it simply the clouds? Um, I don't know if it's just the clouds. I think that it's, it's a little bit beyond that. It's like the atmosphere or something. It's like the phases of nature, like ice, water. water could water. be, yeah. Could be some sort of... Like something different that, that I was thinking. Is there like a mystical reading on that? Like let's say water being like the... Like always being connected to like life creation. That like the waters below waters above that there's something like not necessarily literal. I'm thinking more like a mystical reading of what water. Look, I mean, you, we can definitely understand the waters below the waters above in a mystical way, but there's, this is also on a practical level. We're talking about like lakes, oceans, rivers, seas that are then distinguished from higher waters. Now, it could be, I don't know, I, I wonder that also. I, I'm sure it's in commentary somewhere, you know, defining what that is exactly. Um, I mean, is there like a vaporous, uh, you know, like water, some sort of water level above? I don't know. Breaking through the atmosphere, is that like a thing? I don't know, is that like, I don't, maybe, could be. Is it just the clouds? Like where the, the, the water cycle evaporation, condensation, precipitation? I don't know. I don't know if that's what that is. I think, it's, I think it might be a little bit beyond that. But either way, what we know for sure, and, and the truth is I glossed over the, the verse in the beginning. Um, the Torah said all the way at the beginning that there was water. Um, the earth, verse number two of the Torah the earth was astonishing empty, empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And that indicates that the whole thing was submerged in water. The whole earth was, there was, I mean, earth was theoretically underneath it, but the whole globe was covered in water. There was only water. So water separates on two levels. Number one, some water is now above and below. And then even the waters below, they also now are defined and pulled into distinct bodies of water to allow land masses to, uh, to emerge and to sustain life, at least terrestrial life. Okay, so all of that is day number three. Let's look at day number four. So day number four begins with verse 14. And God said, let there be luminaries in the expanse of the heavens to separate between the, between the day and between the night. So basically sun, moon, and stars are created on day number four. Now sun, moon, and stars are very large and powerful bodies. Think of the sun. How far is the sun? The sun is very far, right? The sun is quite far. And yet, it, it, it lights up and heats up our planet in an incredible way. That is netzach. That is ambition. Think about it. Ambition is the, is the, is the idea that nothing is going to stand in my way. I'm going to push forward all the way to the end. The sun, man, oh, Manashevitz. Man, that sun keeps on pushing through all that expanse of space. It's a big light that pushes all the way through uh, to, to get to our planet. In other words, like oceans and grass and trees and other forms of vegetation, all the stuff that we read about before is being created. All that stuff is more, I would say, localized, localized energies. We're talking now about the sun, moon, and stars. Those are very large bodies that have a lot of, if we could attribute like a human quality, have a lot of determination and uh, perseverance to, uh, to get through the expanse that exists between us and them. Hod, what happens on day number five? If you take a look at day five, we have verse 20. Uh, God says, let the, let the water swarm a swarming of living creatures and let fowl fly over the earth. 
basically what's created, what's created on day number five are the small creatures, fish and birds, and yeah, basically fish and birds. That's what's created on, on day number five. In the language of our tradition, it's smaller creatures, right? You have like macro creature, macro entities like planets and, and suns and stars and all that stuff. That's created the day before. That's created on day number four. Day number five, you have now much smaller creatures. And that represents the smallness of Hod. Hod is, again, shrinking. Hod is the idea of, I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw and allow someone else's opinion to rule the day or to rule this day at least, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna shrink, I'm gonna withdraw. I mean, Gvura is withdrawing, withholding. Hod is emotionally kind of like pulling back to allow some other, other energy to, uh, to, to spread forth. And the, this is at least on some level intimated with the, the small creatures that are created on day number five. Day number six, of course, we have animals and human beings. Let's focus on human beings. Human beings have, as I mentioned before, I kind of left a uh, little, uh, what do they call it? Not a breadcrumb, a little, what do they call it in software when you put in like little um, Easter, eggs. Easter eggs. Oh, Easter, look at that, timely, timely reference. Oh, this time of year, tis the season. So a little Easter egg I dropped before. Uh, yeah, right, a little uh, Passover egg and salt water, exactly. Um, I mentioned before that human beings have a unique um, capacity to bond. Now, of course, and I, I mentioned this caveat before and I'll do it again. Um, yes, other forms of life and animals, etc., also bond and connect. And there's a, there are powerful connections between different creatures and animals and their, their species. Um, whether it's within the species or whether it's like, let's say, like a dog and a human being, there's a very unique uh, connection and bonding. And yet, and the truth is, if that's the case, Dayenu, because on the sixth day, animals and human beings were created, which both have the ability to bond and bond with each other. You with me on this? We've all seen Tiger King. I'm kidding. It's not about Tiger King, right? But there's all like, wait, we can bond with humans, animals with animals, animals with humans, right? It's all about bonding and connection, which is unique to, I guess, what we would call sentient life. Whereas the trees bond with each other, I mean, I'm sure on some level, but not in an obvious level, right? Does, does my, I have two trees in my front yard. Um, I have a peach tree and a plum tree. Are they schmoozing when I'm not looking? They might, they might. But we know human beings, we connect. We know animals, connect. Animals and humans, connect. So day number six, God created creatures that can have now empathetic, deep connections with each other. Thus, it is the energy of Yesod. And again, the point over here is that why are these creations created on those days? Because the energy of the day dictates as such. Are you with me? They're not just empty warehouses or empty containers within which God created this or that, but the days themselves have their own energies. Sunday is chesed, therefore obviously light is created. Monday is gvura, obviously some separation is happening. Uh, Tuesday is teferet, obviously, right, we have separation that's leading to something good. Um, uh, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday is netzach. Ambition, obviously, big things are being created. Big, bombastic suns and stars and planets are being created. Um, day number five is Hod. A, 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 here's devotion, but a, 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 a holding back or a, a shrinking of self. Obviously, small creatures are created. Friday is Yesod, a connection energy. Obviously, what's being created are beings that can connect with each other. And finally, on Shabbat, Nothing is created. And in doing so, God reminds us who's in charge. Malchut, right? Who's the boss? 
who's the king, but it's also a little bit more than that. It's a day in which we stop creating and stop trying to change things and accept what is. The true mark of a leader, as we've discussed many times, the true malchut, true leadership, is not telling other people what to do, but truly allowing the best to come out, helping the best to come out from everyone um, around you. So if you're the leader of a team, right, true malchut is not telling your team what to do. It's not bossing your team around. It's, bring, it's, it's creating an environment that the best qualities of the members of your team can come out. It's cultivating the best from within. It's not imposing rules from without as much as it is. Now, sometimes you need structure, obviously, to, to, to create that. Gvura, teferet, etc. But malchut itself, pure malchut, is not dictatorship. It's rather allowing a platform for cultivation cultivating the best ideas, bring out the best from your team. The greatest leaders are the greatest listeners, not the greatest um, dictators, at least within the Jewish and Kabbalistic idea. And thus, on the seventh day, we don't create, we don't fix, we don't change things, but we cultivate what is. We take a step back from the needing to do, and we accept, and we allow what is to flourish. That's the energy of Shabbat. So it's not, not a day of doing, it's a day of receiving almost, receiving what is, a day of listening to creation as opposed to telling creation what it is that we want to tell it. That's the difference between work and no work on Shabbat. All right, so that's a, 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 little, bit of a, a little bit of a spin through time and seeing how the seven days of the week, the six work days plus Shabbat are reflected in the six energies. And all of this speaks to the theme of our text, which we're about to jump into. Um, and that is that every day has a unique energy and thus demands a unique avodah, a unique form of divine service from us. It's not enough to show up each day as, as the day before, but it's important to show up each day in a day that honors, in, sorry, in a way that honors the day itself. So on Sunday we show up recognizing that today is an energy of chesed and that, that demands something from me. I'm going to respond in a way of chesed. I'm going to behave in a way of chesed. I'm, go, I'm going to leverage the chesed energy in the universe to accomplish what this day needs to accomplish. So it's not that I'm telling time what it needs, like what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm working with the time itself, with the energies themselves to create something magical. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Let me pause before we jump into the text. Let me pause and check in and see uh, how are y'all feeling. Yeah. So there any so Tuesday? I understand. We we know that uh, we want to target double good. Yeah. So how? Right. So like about the other days, what do we specific? Do we other specific things that we can? You know, uh, direct you know it's so. What Don is asking, I'm just going to repeat for the for the online crew. You know, are there specific things that, we're, that we should do each day to honor the day or to reflect the energy of the day? You know, I, I, I don't know if it's broken down in Kabbalah on that level. Like on Sundays, make sure to visit, you know, Babi and Zaidi and give them a hug. Like, I, and although that, I think that's also a thing, you know, it's a Sunday thing. But I, I don't know that it's broken down on that level. I think it's more of an awareness to understand that there is this energy on this day and then it, it can inform our divine service on that day, even if we think about it, even if we take a moment before as we start the day to think about and meditate on the energy of the well, day. We could be the recipient that day, 
and open that. being open for that energy, yeah. yeah, which is itself powerful. But it all begins with awareness. So this is cool because I think it's the reason why I, I like this teaching, and it's it's throughout Kabbalistic t- uh, um, texts you'll find this on occasion. The reason why this is cool is because it's a very practical application of the of these energies. I mean, otherwise, like we okay, so God created the world and embedded these energies in creation somewhere somehow. But now we have no like every day has an embedding of one of these energies in particular. Now that doesn't mean that the other energies aren't present on on each of the days. They are, but there's a dominant energy and a non-dominant energy or energies. The dominant energy of Sunday is Chesed, Monday is Gvura, etc. So there's a dominant energy of that day, and as much as we think that we're in control, we're also responding to the energy of the day. Again, that's hence my Monday take. It's like as much as it's like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, contextual, like, okay, I have this job or that job, whatever it is, there's an actual energy on Monday, which is Gvura, which is a little bit more... Gvura. Gvura. And Gvura doesn't feel good. Gvura doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good getting a no, even if the no is good for you. It doesn't feel good hearing no. It doesn't feel good, you know, um, creating boundaries and sticking to them. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. It requires discipline. Again, some people love that. It's still hard. So some people are more wired for Gvura. Some more wired to Chesed. Some to Tefer. Everyone's different. Anyway. But you're asking a good question. It's like, what do we do on each day? Here's the framework. Here's the, here's the map. Now we got to figure this out. Okay, any other questions? I'm turning to our online crew. Any questions? Comments? All good. Okay. Either it's all good or it's all like up there. Hopefully it's not too up there. I just have to say I love the bit about uh, God creating the earth and it not in the six days. Yeah. The idea that God created the day. I, I, the I day never itself. heard that. I've studied Torah, not, obviously not extensively as some other people have, but I never heard that, that way of looking at it, and I like that a lot. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for commenting on that. Yeah, that, it's a powerful insight that not it's God created the days. And then with the days, God creates what he creates within those days. Yeah. It's like a different, yeah. And by the way, we'll have that in our text. So we'll see it, we'll see it inside. It's actually, um, it's actually um, quoted here. That teaching is quoted right here. Okay, I'm going to pull up. Here we go. I will pull up the text here. And let's jump right in. We're up to chapter 2 of Discourse 19, page 278. All right, 278. And the opening caption, or header, sorry, is six days you shall labor in body and soul. You know, one of the agendas of our text is to figure out what happens on Rosh Hashanah and what happens the rest of the year. Like, if we're judged on Rosh Hashanah, uh, you know, if, if Rosh Hashanah is determining what, we, what happens for that year, then why do we need to show up every day? It's like, hold on. I prayed on Rosh Hashanah. I heard the shofar. I did my apples and honey. Right? We believe that God blessed us with a good year. Great. So are we done? Like, Jewishly, spiritually, like, on any level, are we once a year and we're done? No. There's something that, that is necessary every day because every day is significant. And this explains why that's so. Here we go. So again, page 278, chapter 2. Now we understand, now we can understand the daily judgment 
In other words, that there's a, not only a once-a-year judgment, but a daily judgment, as noted by our sages in the Talmud, Rosh Hashanah 16a, that man, it doesn't mean man uh, gender-wise, but human being is judged, humans are judged every single day. Now, here we go. It is written, six days you shall labor and do all your work. It says in Exodus, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And it also says, for in six days, sorry, for six days, God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. By the way, this quote, Exodus 20, verse 9 and verse 11, this text comes from the Ten Commandments. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty, popular, uh, pr pretty popular text. This is the Ten Commandments, commandment number four that talks about Shabbat. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Why? Because six days God made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rest on the seventh day. The Zohar, Zohar is a classic of Kabbalah, mentions that on every day its work was performed. Every single day its work was performed. And again, very, like, a little bit uh, obscure what that means. But we're going we're gonna to break it down. Likewise, regarding man's labor in the six days when you shall labor and perform all your work, every individual Jew has his work for which he was created and for which his soul descended. In other words, every single, here it says Jew, but of course he's speaking to his audience. But what he means is every single human being has their work to do on that day. Just like the Zohar says, on every day its work was performed. That, that line, you know, I glossed over before. Let me, let me break that down. Bechol, the, the, the original is Bechol Yoema Avid Avidite. On every day its work was performed. What does that mean? Every day had work that could only be done on that day. Sunday, of course God created like because it's Chesed. What else is he going to create? Separation? Why would, the day is not about separation. It's about giving. It's about, it's about, it's about unmitigated expansion. That's what light is. Light is unmitigated expansion. That's exactly what happens on Sunday. So every day its work was performed, meaning its work that's relevant, that's appropriate to that day, that's what was done on that day. Right? And the same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us that every single day there's work that demands, that, that demands from us to be done on that day. Every day there's something that needs to be done on that day because of what that day is. Let's continue. It is also written, the happenings to be for... Oh, this is... All right, the translation here is a bit of a... Uh, uh, complicated piece here. I'm not, not happy with the way they translated this because it really doesn't make any sense, but nonetheless, so I'm going to read it as translated and then we'll get to the insight. The happenings to be formed in future days, to him, they are the same. There you go. All right? Obviously. There, there, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. Now, we can, we can break it down a little bit. The happenings to be formed in future days, to him, they are the same, which kind of means that whatever happens in the future, maybe to God, future and present is all the same, or maybe whatever happens doesn't really affect God because God is beyond being affected by our actions. We can learn it many different ways, but here is the mystical interpretation. The purpose of all of the days that were formed and given to man, given to the human being, is in order that for him the one into them, again, still not making much sense, but that man elicit the one with his service. And now let me just explain. The purpose of the days being formed, the purpose of God creating days, the purpose of God creating time, which, by the way, was the first thing that God created. First thing God created before heaven and earth, before this, God created the concept of time. How do we know this? The first word of the Torah is Bereshit in the beginning. That, the, the word beginning is the beginning of time. Because there's no concept of beginning if there's no time. Are you with me on this? You can't have something an, an, an antecedent, or a, you can't have something before or after if you don't have a construct of time. 
So the fact that we say in the beginning, right, in the beginning, there's this happened first, and then this happened, that doesn't exist in a, in a realm beyond time. In a world beyond time, in a universe beyond time, you don't say the word beginning. Beginning only exists. So in the beginning, God created time, and then he created space. So just so you know, the point here is that why did God create days? Why did God create time? In order that we, that we introduce the one into them, one with a capital O, in other words, the one God into them. Our job is to bring divine awareness, divine consciousness into time and thus into space. Because one is evocative of space itself. Why? Echad. Let's continue inside. Echad, the Hebrew word for one, it's also the last word of the Shema, right? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Echad one is an acronym. Echad is comprised of three Hebrew letters. Aleph, Chet, and Dalet. Aleph represents the blessed Ain Sof, master of creation. Aleph, by the way, the word Aleph also means master. In Hebrew, Aleph, like Alufo Shal Olam, the master of the world, Aleph is, means master. So Aleph represents the blessed Ain Sof, which is the blessed infinite energy, master of creation. Chet, the second letter of Echad, Chet 8, the numerology of Chet is 8, represents the seven heavens and earth. Seven expanses of heaven and earth. Dalid, the, the third letter, again, Echad is Aleph, Chet, Dalid, Dalid, 4, the numerology of 4, represents the four directions. So you have Aleph, the master of the world, God. Chet, the, the vertical expanse of existence, earth and the seven heavens above it. And Dal represents kind of the lateral expansion, four directions. So this in general, the word echad in general refers to space. Days in the psalm refers to time. This was a verse from Psalms, right? So days refers to time. Man's service then, putting all the pieces together, and in English it doesn't really work so well. I mean, it works, but it's hard to follow because it's English. It works much better in the Hebrew. Man's service then, our job, our task in life then, is to bring together time and space and unite them both with God. In other words, to take a moment of time and our space on earth and to bring divine consciousness into that time and into that space. Your work, right, your work, which is the quote from Exodus above, is the task imposed upon man, the purpose for his soul's or his or her soul's descent. In other words, the verse says, six, um, the verse says, six days you shall labor. The Ten Commandments says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. What work should we be doing? What, going to the, going to the, uh, to the law firm or going to the business? What kind of work? Six days, right? God says in the Ten Commandments, six days you shall labor and do all your work. What's God telling us? To get a job? The, tenth, the fourth commandment is about Shabbat. But it doesn't just say rest on the seventh day. It says, no, six days a week you shall work. And on the seventh, why does it have to tell us six days you shall work? Why is that a commandment? Six days you shall work. We'll figure it out. Just tell me that, that I shouldn't work on the seventh day. You understand the question? The, the, the fourth commandment is ostensibly about Shabbat, cessation of work on the seventh day. So it should say, on the seventh day you shall rest. That's it. Just tell me seventh day to rest. Don't tell me six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then on the seventh day, it almost makes it sound like the six days are also part of the commandment. Six days you should work. The seventh you should rest. Sounds like both are part of the commandment. Why is six days you should work a commandment? According to Kabbalah, we understand it. Because we're not talking about the work of going to our day jobs. The work that we're talking about is making, bringing divine consciousness into our world, into our time, into our space. That's what it means. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. What work? 
the work of infusing divine consciousness into our reality. The, the, the job of marrying heaven and earth, the job of bringing divine, divine awareness into an otherwise solely materialistic environment. That is the work that, we, that we're meant to be doing throughout the six days. And... Right, but but we we accept we accept, we accept the divine as opposed to feeling the need to impose it. I'm gonna cl- close that door for a second. Right, so six days a week we say the world is broken, the world is messed up, and we need to introduce divine awareness into it. And on Shabbos we're like, you know what? This is a garden already. It's a beautiful space already that we're meant to cultivate and bring it out from within. So that's the difference. The difference is. You know, are you, are you working from outside in or inside out? Masculine, we spoke about this yesterday at the, at the Shabbat service, right? Masculine and feminine energies. A masculine approach, again, not, not exclusive to men versus women, but the masculine approach is, it's broken, I'm going to fix it. It's that outside in. Whereas the feminine approach is more about cultivating what's already there. Okay, so we have the, the fourth commandment. That's really the focus here, right? The fourth commandment says, six days a week you shall labor and do your work, and on the seventh day, Shabbat, etc. So the question is, what do you mean six days a week? Should, why is God telling us to work? We need God to tell us to go to work? It doesn't have to be. God should tell us not to work on the seventh day, to work. So clearly it's not just about going to our day jobs. It's telling us to do another form of work, which is the spiritual work. And six days you shall do your work means that each day has a unique form of work. Although collectively, generally speaking, every, every day we're meant to bring heaven to earth, right? Bring heaven down to earth. Every day we do so in a different way. Sunday is different than Monday, is different than Tuesday, etc. Every day has its own unique flavor. Rabbi, can I ask a question about the Gavor? Could that be, is that at all related, related to the negative commandments? Say it one more time. Sorry, I was reading some. Yeah. Is that at all related to the negative commandments? Could be. When I, when I say it could, so Donna's question, because I, I know the mic doesn't always pick up. So are the negative commandments related to Gvura and the positive commandments to Chesed? I'm just adding on to your question. You could look at it that way, right? It's not exclusive to that construct, but you could look at it that way, right? Chesed is about giving and doing and it's about positive things. Like any relationship, right? How are relationships built and sustained, Right? And it is, so you do something, you do things for the other, and you don't do things to the other, right? That's how, that's a relationship. Relationship is, I'm doing this for you, you do this for me, we're, we're giving to each other, and we have boundaries where we respect the other. So there's love and respect. And one could argue that respect is more important than love. Because if you love your spouse, and you love others, we got a problem. In the same way, right? Now we got a problem, right? So love is important, but one could argue respect, the boundaries, the gvura, is more important. Arguably. It is work. Um, we have a modern day application of the word work. Is work sort of like any human output that transforms the world? The way, the way that the Talmud, and this is not even mysticism, the way the Talmud defines work are 39 categories of work, but what, what's common to them is that you're taking something of the world and changing it. So if you lift up a very heavy couch in your house and move it from third floor to the basement, not work. You might be sweating and everything. It's not called work. 
You didn't change anything. Whereas if you take a seed and put it into the ground, you just worked. What do you mean? I just dropped it. I worked? Because now you're creating something. You're, you're doing something that's going to create some change or stir some sort of change in the, in the world. So yeah, the, the definition of work is something that changes something of the natural universe. If you carry the couch upstairs, does that work? No. <laughs> so rearranging existing things is not work. Right, but uh, you know we have to like you have to look at the specifics of what are the thirty nine categories and figure that. Out. Yeah, I mean loosely, yeah, generally speaking, yes. Yeah, if you're there are specific categories that are derived from from uh, from the from the biblical verses in the in the context that are general categories of work that have subcategories, but generally speaking, all the all of the forbidden labors on Shabbat are about um, creative forms of work as opposed to just manual stuff. Although they also include manual. It's not, not manual labor, but it's something that's about changing something. Creating, I guess. Creating, yeah. right, creating. And on a very simple level, it's because on this day we acknowledge that we're not the creator. Six days a week, we put on our creator hat, right? Like, I'm also a creator. On the seventh day, we acknowledge that only God's the real creator. We're just repackaging. So we stop, we take a break, and we, we acknowledge the source of creativity, of creation. Okay, so every day, so any, every day of the week, um, the goal, the objective is to, every day of the week, the goal and the objective is to bring heaven down to earth, is to bring a divine consciousness into our time and into our space. Right, that convergence of time, really, there's three elements, time, space, and spirit, and the idea is to converge all three. Right? To bring God into time and space really means to converge time, space, and spirit, and energy. Right? Time, space, and spirit, those three dimensions should converge so that in this time, in this space, there's something higher that is being introduced into this experience, or something holy, or something divine, or something you know, uplifting that is happening in this context. So that's the convergence of all three. Into, into this one reality. And this is, this is true every day of the week. But, as we'll see, as we've discussed, there's something unique that happens every day. Every day there's a unique um, inflection or unique um, way in which this is manifest. I see we're at the time, but we're just going to go for another few minutes. Give me another few minutes so we can just get through the, the six days. <coughs> Here we go. Bottom paragraph on one uh, sorry, 278. This task must be performed day by day, strenuously, with labor of flesh and labor of soul. In other words, we have to really put ourselves into it. <coughs> so six days you shall labor. When the Torah says six days you shall labor, that means that every day must have its share of the divine service according to the nature of that day and its significance among the supernal spherot. And that's exactly what I did in the intro is to explain what that was, right? So every day we're supposed to do our avoda, do our service, Serve God or bring heaven down to earth, so to speak, in a way that uniquely honors the energy of that day. These so, are the these are the spherot, the ten, yeah, the ten energies. But specifically, we're referring to the lower, the lower third, uh, two thirds, <coughs> two eighty. Okay, page two eighty. Let's jump in. The first day parallels Chesed. Sunday, first day, day one parallels Chesed, which in divine service would be love of God. Oh, maybe he defines it right here. Look at that. You're asking. So, what do we do Sunday? Boom. We focus on love of God. Well, he's, 
that's in the brackets. It focuses on love, but of course in a spiritual context, it's love of God. The second day, Monday, is Gvura, which represents awe or fear as a method of service. So Sunday, we exalt in, the, in loving God. Monday, we exalt in awe or fear. It doesn't mean to be fear. It doesn't mean fear. Literally, it means respect, reverence for God. Third day is Tiferet, which transposed into terms of service means contemplating the beauty of the king by combining chesed and gvuru and, and, and love and awe. In other words, what the expression is, to gaze at the beauty or to contemplate the beauty of the king, to think about the grandeur of, uh, of God, that resplendence of beauty is the focus and the meditation of Tuesday. So Sunday is love. Sunday is love. Monday is reverence. Tuesday is beauty. By the way, teferet, which we translate here as compassion, is also harmony, and it's also beauty. Teferet is related to the word yofi, which means beautiful. Teferet is, think about a painting. Paintings are usually, I know modern art is different, but usually beauty is usually when you have an amalgam of colors, when you have a mix of different things. Harmony is beautiful. Why music is beautiful when you have multiple sounds coming together, an orchestra, harmony, symphony, etc. Um, so it's with art and music. It's when you have perspectives, you have a diversity of perspectives coming together, that's something beautiful. You have one opinion, it's one opinion. It's not beautiful. It's not harmonious. So this is the idea to look at the beauty of the king, which means to recognize the diversity of God's creation, to recognize through the diversity of creation the greatness of Hashem. Okay, that's, that's Tuesday. Wednesday, the fourth day. <coughs> it's Netzach, sorry. Excuse me. In service, it means aroused aggressiveness to destroy and uproot even the most subtle of the undesirable. It means on Wednesday, we're supposed to look within and find the subtle negativity and root out the subtle negativity. So Netzach remembers ambition. It means going to the end. That means like in business, not letting anything fall through the cracks. It means I'm not going to get derailed by the little splinter that I didn't sand down. I'm going to make sure that all my ducks are lined up. All right, all the, the T's are crossed. How many cliches can I throw into one paragraph of, of, of conversation here, right? But that everything is... Everything is where it needs to be. And divine service, it means to look within and make sure that every subtle negative element is also addressed. Therefore, on the fourth day, he says, the luminaries were placed in position in the heavens. In a deeper sense, this refers to the light issuing from the sun god. Now, I, oh, 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 slow down. We're not calling the sun god, by the way, right? But it's a metaphor, right? Slow it down. This is not Judaism, right? It's a metaphor, right? Just like the sun is the source of light, God is the source of life. So it means that the light issuing from God that repels and destroys even the most subtle of the indesirable, when the light shines, right, you can see if in darkness, that's when negativity can fester. When the light shines, that's when you can root out the negative. That's day four, that's Wednesday. Let's continue quickly. Day five, Thursday. The fifth day is Hod, glory, which in service means to meditate and comprehend the magnificence of the glory of his kingdom and, and, and then be awed by it, right? So Hod is... The idea of, of, of kind of that humility. So when you think about the greatness of God, then you'll feel humble, um, uh, as is understood from the entire creation. When meditating on how numerous are your works of God and how great are your works of God, you think about the greatness of God and how big and how grand creation is, then you feel smaller in that space, which is ho, the idea of shrinking a little bit. The sixth day is Yisod, foundation, which in service means that he is 
one in heaven and on earth, the unity of Mamalakalam and Sobakalam, and that means the idea of connection. We said Yesod is connection. I spoke about this on a human level. We can connect with others or connect animals can connect with each other. But on a spiritual level, it means to connect heaven and earth, although we're doing that every day, but it means to think about how God is beyond creation and within creation, right? God is both within and beyond. God not only created this, but also stands outside of this, and both are true within God. And we connect both the imminent energy and the transcendent forms of energy of God, known as Mamali and Sovev in Kabbalah. And finally, and, and, that's, and that's it, because he doesn't talk about Shabbos. He talks about, because Shabbos, we, we're more passive. We, we embrace, we accept the, the beauty. So let's continue. It is known that all of the midot, combine, that means all the energies, combine with the, the emotional spherot, combine with each other, and this is their perfection. In other words, chesed has gvura, and tefe, each one has the other elements within it, and that's the harmony within each one. In serving God too, a combination of emotive traits is the perfection of the individual emotion. Love combined with awe, and awe including love within itself, and so on. In other words, each one has to have the other in order to be holistic and to be healthy. If you have pure love or pure gvura, that is a destructive uh, scenario. Yeah, each one is mitigated and tempered and, and enhanced and, and beautified when it combines the other energies. Nevertheless, so although there is an interconnectedness between, and that's why you have lines between all of the energies, nonetheless, each day has its particular function, in other words, its primary quality according to its significance in the supernal spirit. So both are true. That means that each energy is combined of the other energies and that synthesis is magical. However, at the end of the day, each, well, beginning of the day also, each day has its primary energy, and that is what we are to focus on. So Sunday is, <coughs> is a focus on love of God. Monday is a focus on being in awe of God. Tuesday is a focus on recognizing the beauty of God and, and the creation. Wednesday is focusing on rooting out the subtle um, indiscretions or subtle imperfections of our character and pushing to the end and getting all that, all that uh, as, as clean as possible. Um, Thursday is Hode, which is the idea of thinking about the, uh, um, the vastness of creation and then feeling one's own inherent um, smallness, so to speak. The, uh, Friday is about the, the energy is um, recognizing and contemplating how this, no matter how big this is, there's still that which is beyond this. In other words, God invested in this, but God also remains outside of this. It's like a child coming to the realization that yes, my parent is my parent, but they also exist outside of me, if that makes sense, right? My parent is not just existing relative to me, but they also have their own existence outside of me. They existed before me, right? So they have their own identity. Even as they're, so God is not just the creator of heaven and earth, God also is beyond this. And then we think about how those two fuse, how God even beyond cares about within and even within also has elements of beyond. That's what Friday is about, that type of meditation. And then of course Shabbat is the day of rest. But his point here, not to lose the plot, the point here is that every single day asks of us to summon forth a unique form of divine service, a unique form of, of spiritual um, integrity to, um, to activate the energy or to, to honor the energy of that day. And in doing so, we live full days and a full life. We don't just go through time where we killed a day or a day went by without you know, significance or meaning. Every day, call Yema Vayema Avravidite, just like God created 
the days with an energy and then honored the energy of the day with a specific form of creation, we too can mirror God, can mirror this process in the same way by tuning into the energy of the day and doing something uniquely significant or significant in a unique way that honors that day. And thus, our days are full. And so it's not just once a year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that we're connecting with God and we're channeling the energy from God or we're asking for what we need, but every single day we do so in a way that is unique and significant. So one thing that hopefully jumps out you know, off the page from all this, and there's a lot of ideas that we shared today, but hopefully the one thing, I guess the one takeaway that I'd love for you to take away from this is not to blur the lines between days. I know the joke is, you know, COVID, like two years, like who knows what happened. And yes, that's normal. But Judaism holds us to a higher standard. And that, or to more intentional standard, mindful standard. And that is that every day should be honored. We shouldn't allow a day to go by, you know, just like a lost day or a, a wasted day. Every day. And it's not like you can make it up tomorrow. It's not like, okay, I didn't do... If you, look at, if you look at days as empty containers, right? And then you think of your task list. So I have like 100 things to do. So either I could do 50 today, 50 tomorrow, or I could do all 100 tomorrow and do nothing today. Who cares? That's, what, hope, that's the perspective before this class. But hopefully now we know that it's not just days are empty containers and I could do the 100 things either today and tomorrow or just tomorrow. But no, every day has an energy that needs to be tapped into that's waiting for us to access, that's demanding of us to respond to it in a certain way. And if we miss today, that's not coming back. Adam Dayeg al-Damav, ve'enai Dayeg al-Yamav. Classic Jewish saying, a person worries about their money, but not about their time, not about their days. Damav enam oizrim. Ultimately, money doesn't help. V'yamav. And the days never come back. So when we prioritize, right, right, time or money, right, oftentimes we put money over time. But as Judaism teaches us, money only goes so far. Every day is infinitely precious. That day can never come back. So let's focus on the day you want to use modern terminology, modern, like lingo. It's about being present every day, being present in every moment. Seize the day. Seize the day, carpe diem. <laughs> Maybe that's not so current, but that's, you know, it's Roman 2,000 years ago. But like, right, it's the idea of being present, being, you know, mindful and present and, and, and in the moment, not being distracted. Right. The past is the past. The future is the future. We can worry about the past, we can fret about the future, but the main thing is to honor this moment in time, at least honor this day, by responding to its unique energy. Yeah. So we studied, I think yesterday, right? So Friday night service starts with the seven psalms that relate yeah. to the seven. So we could each day read a particular psalm. That particular I mean, that's not, you, there's, there are songs for each day that are in the, in the prayer book. That, that's unique for Friday night. But there, are, there is a song for each day that's in the prayer book for the daily prayers. Oh, so each, day is each day there is a song, yeah. Oh, okay. I can show you. I have a siddur in my office. I'll show you after the class because that is a cool thing to, to, to read. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for joining. I want to wish everybody a happy Passover. It's a moment in time, of course, to tap into that energy. So I wish you all a liberating Passover. May you come out of Passover a little bit freer 
then you went into it. Uh, scheduling announcement next week because of the holiday, there is no Kabbalah coffee. The week after is after the holiday, so it's because the holiday ends on a Saturday night. So we should be back, but just stay tuned to the emails for the check your local listings for the detail. Hopefully, we're thank uh, we you very to... much. What a beautiful class! I'm I'm very touched. Thank yes, you, Mariana. It's something so so important for life, and it's it's a new way to see. And thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. See you, Adam. I sorry. See you, Alan. Um, Adam and Richard and Marsha, Mariana and Tony and Michael and David and Toba and Yaakov and Joy. It's great to see you all. Chag Sameach. Uh, Mariana, thanks for, the, for the, the, the loving words as always. Regards to the Mishpacha. My best to, uh, to Alex and everybody. Pleasure, pleasure. Chag Sameach. And to everyone, wishing you a Chag Sameach. And of course, if you need a Seder or know anybody who needs a Seder, we're doing a, a, a community Seder, first night of Passover, Friday night. Hit me up for more details or check the website um, for more information. We'd love to have you and to celebrate together. All right, we'll see you all. Chag Sameach. Take care, everybody. Bye, all. I love the spiral that's telling